Well, um, we have been having Disciple Now this weekend, and let me just kind of catch you up because this is actually the conclusion of our Disciple Now weekend, and I, I asked TJ if, he, if he'd mind if I shared this morning, and I really appreciate him letting me do this. Um, Disciple Now, a lot of you may not even know what a Disciple Now is. It may be a new term to you, but Disciple Now is real simple. Our teenagers met on uh, Friday night about 9 o'clock, and we did worship, and then they went to homes. We had nine groups, and they went to nine different places, and they stayed the weekend in those homes, and they were studying some material, and the material was the theme of what we were doing. is called Grave Robbers. You might see everybody with these shirts. They've got a little bitty sign on the back that says Grave Robbers, and we had a worship last night, too, and then, um, then this morning's conclusion, and I want you to, to understand what we're talking about grave robbers, because that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, Jesus is a grave robber, and all of us, because we also have Christ in us, are supposed to be grave robbers. And what that means is a grave robber is somebody that, well, it's pretty simple. You go to a grave, and you get someone that's in there, and you bring them out. I, I, I looked up and found some pretty incredible stories about grave robbing. This actually is a phenomenon in our culture. A lot of y'all may not be aware of this. Let me read to you uh, some of these incredible stories. Uh, this first one says, hours before the late Clarence Bright was to be buried at a Detroit cemetery Monday morning, his body went missing. The next day, police found um, his son, Vincent Bright, and another man with an empty casket, casket in the back of their van, and they arrested him. Cops said that Vincent, 48, had moved his father's body into a freezer in the basement of his home, hoping that he might come back to life. He was charged with a disinterment of a body, a felony, and held on $75,000 bond. He could face up to 10 years in prison if convicted, but he'll likely undergo a mental evaluation first. You think? You think that'd be a good thing to do? Here's another one. This lady named uh, Jean Stevens. This is an incredible story. Uh, she had a twin sister named June, and they were inseparable. They even married brothers. How convenient. They decided, hey, if we're going to get married, might as well marry someone that's their brothers. When June was diagnosed with cancer, Jean shared a bed with her and rubbed her back. And when June died in October of 2009, she was buried in her sister's backyard. Only a few days later, though, lonely and claustrophobic at the thought of her sister trapped underground, Jean had her dug up and brought inside to live with her, just like she had done 10 years earlier with her husband, James, who had been buried in a nearby cemetery, and they lived together. Well, she lived with her husband's body on a couch, and in the garage, her sister was propped up in, uh, in a spare bedroom. And... Uh, they, this went on for several years, and she was finally caught just this past year. In an interview shortly after being arrested, uh, Stevens said that she was aware her behavior appeared disturbing, you think, but explained unapologetically that she felt differently about death than most people. I guess so. Um, I don't know if you know this, in uh, Indonesia, on this island called the Sol Sulawesi Island, I'm surprised it's not made like some really big television uh, special, but locals do this every year, they, or every few years, they dig up their mummified ancestors, and they give them a fresh set of clothes. They want them to have the latest fashions, you know? We don't want to be buried with these old clothes. Put some new clothes on them, and they walk them around the village 
for a day or two before they put him back in the grave. Yes, yeah, it's, it's true. There was also a, 40, a 55-year-old man in Vietnam, uh, he was, but he was not arrested after he told a newspaper that he dug up his dead wife's body and slept in bed with it for five years. Okay, when his uh, wife had died in the year 2003, he slept on top of her grave. For 20 months, he slept on top of her grave, but eventually he could not deal with it any longer, and so then he dug a tunnel down into the grave to sleep with her. Eventually, that became impossible, and so he just dug her up, put her in the bed where he was sleeping. And then, I I actually heard about this case, this was years ago, but in uh, 1995, a judge ordered a cult leader named Tony Alamo to return his wife's body for a proper and legal entombment after her body had been missing for four years. All right, now Tony Alamo, this great evangelist guy, or cult leader, not really an cult leader, was in prison for tax evasion, okay? But his wife, Susan Alamo, had died in 1982 at age 59, and after she was embalmed, her husband brought her back to his, like, church, his compound in Arkansas. He kept her on display for church followers, telling them she would rise from the dead. When they still had, when that still hadn't happened 18 months later, he built a tomb for his wife and put her in it right there on the grounds, but she mysteriously went missing in 1991 on the very night that his compound was raided by federal officials for tax evasion. And so her body at that time was still places unknown. Now, why do these people do this? Why do these people go out and do this bizarre behavior? And believe it or not, I searched this on the Internet. There was like hundreds, you know, if you want to have a good afternoon, go search people that were dead and are now like walking around somewhere. I searched hundreds of uh, places and kind of picked out some of the best ones. Why do these do this? Because... These people love their loved one, and that's actually a good thing, and they are so distraught about them being dead that they want to do something to bring them back from the dead. They want to bring them out of the grave. Now, guys, we, we kind of laugh at them, and it is kind of hilarious, but I believe that that's exactly what Jesus came to earth to do. He came to earth to take people that were dead and bring them back to life. He was a grave robber. His whole point in being was to seek and to to save that which was lost. And that's kind of what our teenagers have been talking about this week, about going out and finding people that are dead and bringing them back to life. Now, I'm actually going to preach a sermon this morning, and it's going to be based on a passage all of y'all uh, there was a little outline on your, on your uh, chair. You might want to pull that out and also turn to John chapter 11. But I want you to see, not just here, I want you to see how Jesus was a grave robber. And so if, we, if the video works, and there's always that possibility that it won't, but if the video works, I want to show you guys, I want you to see how Jesus went out and literally robbed the grave. So... Uh, Nick or Justin, whoever's run that, if y'all run that video now. Now, I don't know about y'all, but uh, that to me is one of the most incredible things that's ever happened in the history of the world. Why did Jesus do this? 
Jesus hates death. And Jesus hates when people die. But what he really hates more than that is when people die and they're separated from God and they spend eternity separated from God. And so, in a way, although Jesus did raise a couple other people who was here, Jesus raised Lazarus, Lazarus to paint a picture for all of us that would come after that to show us, first of all, how he feels about death and also to show us what he came to do about it. He did this in a physical sense. But in our world, in our day, we're mainly talking spiritually. Jesus wants to spiritually pull people out of the grave and bring them from death to life. And he wants to use us. That's what our weekend was all about, teenagers. He wants to use you to pull people. It's going to be him doing it, but he wants to use you to pull people out of the grave and bring them to life. Now, I've got this little outline. I've got three things that Jesus did. There are three things that were significant in this story that help us to see if Jesus did these things, if we had the same, basically it's just the same attitude as Jesus had, we are also going to be pulling people out of the grave. So these are the attitudes that we need to have. And uh, the passage, if you look there, John 11, verses 1 through 44, is the story that you just saw up here. And this is an incredibly long passage, so I'm not going to read all of it. You just saw the picture. We're going to look at three different sections of the Scripture. Before we do that, I would like us to uh, go to God in prayer. Got to know that uh, this is an incredible, true story about how Jesus pulled a guy literally out of the grave. And I know that Jesus was the great grave robber, but I also believe that because Jesus lives in us, that you want us to do the same works, not physically raise someone from the dead, but spiritually bring them from death to life. And so I pray, God, that these feeble attempts by me to even explain this passage would not fall upon deaf ears, but that our hearts and our minds would be open to becoming grave robbers, because Jesus, that is what you have for us. And we ask this in your name, amen. Like I said, there's three things I want you all to see that Jesus had and that all of us really, really and truly, all of us can have these things. If we just would have this attitude, so maybe what we do today is we just pray and say, Lord, give me the same kind of attitude that Jesus had. The first thing, Jesus had an incredible sense of purpose. I want to read to you, start in verse 11. I'm going to read down to verse 16. Here's what he said. Um, Verse 11 says, after he has said this, he went on to tell them. They were, they were kind of already talking about it, Lazarus. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And I'm going to read a little bit further. I know in the little outline says just verse 11. I'll read a little bit further. His disciples replied, Lord, if he falls asleep, he'll get better. You know, they didn't get what Jesus was saying. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Actually, I'm not even sure that's what the disciples thought. Let me tell you what the disciples were really thinking. 
where Jesus, where Lazarus that died was a very dangerous area. They had tried to stone Jesus in the same location. And Jesus had been avoiding that location for quite some time. And so Jesus is going, you know, hey, Lazarus is dead. We're going to go there. And the disciples are going, whoa, Lord, he's, if he's just asleep, don't worry about it. He'll be coming. It'll be okay. We don't really have to go there. Okay? Now, John, the guy who wrote this, he was one of those guys probably a little afraid, okay? So whether the disciples uh, believed he was physically asleep, whatever, Jesus makes it really clear. Verse 14, Jesus goes, I know what you guys are up to. So verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe and also in the belief so that you may see why I came to bring people out of the grave so you would get a visual picture of that. He says, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, verse 16, the great doubter, the fearful one of the 12, Thomas said, uh, Thomas, then Thomas called uh, Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, all right, let us also go that we may die with him. And he wasn't talking about Lazarus. He was talking about Jesus because he's going, Jesus is going to go. We're going to go and we're going to die too. So Thomas, the negative one. But what I want you all to see is Jesus had an incredible sense of purpose in his life. He knew the reason he'd come was to pull people out of the grave. Now, what's the thing that keeps most of us from evangelizing? It's real simple, y'all. It's fear. It's fear. Most of us are afraid to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid they won't receive the message. We're afraid we don't know what to say. There's all kinds of fears that we have. But here's the thing. This is something I've found in my own life. And I'll tell you a little illustration. If you have a sense of purpose, it will overcome fear every time. When I was a kid, I was really shy. Actually, there's no when I was a kid, y'all. I am an extremely shy person. I know a lot of y'all are going, no way. I'm just telling you, I am. I'm an I'm a introvert. I'm shy. As a matter of fact, uh, Emily, my uh, assistant, we're talking about it. She's got a phrase that she says, fake it until you make it. Well, that's, if you think that, man, Bill's out. No, I am shy. I mean, I'm really shy. More, I mean, more than anything else, what I wish right now I was doing was sitting at home watching this on TV. I'm serious. I'm not going, whoa, I get to be up in front of all these people. I'm an incredibly shy person. Now, when I was in high school, I was really, really shy about girls. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to that. I don't know how to talk to them. Matter of fact, I never talked to them, and I was afraid of them. I don't know, somewhere around my 10th grade year, though, I got a purpose, and here was my purpose. I said, you know what? I'm shy, I'm awkward, and I got red hair. Got a lot of things going against me. I also have, I had a lot of acne in those days too. It's like, this is not a good combination I'm putting out here. I said, but I've got a purpose. And my purpose was, don't ask me why. I guess, I mean, it's actually a good thing. It's a God thing, but I wanted to have a girlfriend. I mean, I just, I had an incredible desire inside of me to have a girlfriend, but how are you gonna have a girlfriend when you can't even talk to a girl? This is really a problem. So, but my purpose overcame my shyness in this area. Let me tell you what I did. I knew a girl. I mean, I just knew her name. That was about it. Just a little bit more. I knew, I knew what she looked like, and I, I knew where she lived, so I knew how to get a hold of her phone number. Her name was Mary Ellen. And uh, so I was so shy. Here's what I did. I wrote out 
what I was going to say to this girl on the phone. Now, in those days, you couldn't, like, text. If there was texting around, man, I'd be good. I could have texted, you know, I could write out a text, I could proofread it, you know, make sure I haven't made it, you know, made, and then send it, you know. But no, you couldn't do that. And in those days, everybody, when they wanted a date, they did it on telephone, at least in my high school. So I wrote out what I was going to say to this girl, and I got her phone number, and uh, I had to get a loan because in my house, there was four kids, and there was like two phones, one in the, in the main room, and there was like a little portable one went to my, me and my brothers and sisters. I had to get the phone in the room, make sure my sisters, who were always, always giving me a hard time about anything, and if they even knew I was calling a girl, it would just have been unbearable. So I had to wait till they weren't looking and get the phone and get my room and then I called her up, and it read something like this. I wish I had kept a copy of it, but it read something like this. Hello, Mary Ellen, this is Bill Hughes. I'm the redheaded guy that's in your second period class. I was wondering if you would like to go with me to the football game on Friday night. That, I mean, I just read it that fast, okay? I didn't say, how you doing? Good to see I just read this thing off. Now, now I had anticipated that Mary Ellen might say yes, and if she said yes, I was going to say something like this. Great, that is very good. I know where you live. I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock on Friday night. And if she said no, I was going to say, okay, well, I understand that. Maybe at a later date we can talk about, you know, whatever. So I was going to say that. But the girl, this, this girl threw me a curveball. I asked her a yes or no question. Would you like to go with me to the football game on Friday night? And she said, I don't know. I mean, I'm going, whoa, I didn't have anything for I don't know. I didn't have anything to say. So I just said, okay, goodbye. You know, it's like, I'm going, God. What am I going to do? I'll never. Now, you would think, and you would think that after that was my first experience of calling a girl on the phone, you would think after that that I'd never call another girl on the phone. But you know what? I had a purpose. I had a purpose. And even though I'd blown it, and even though I was shy, and even though I was afraid, I mean, when I was calling that girl, I was sweating buckets. Even though no matter all this stuff, the, the purpose overcame the shyness. And I kept calling girls until one of them got confused and said yes. You know, I mean, that's, I figured eventually I'll come into someone that's either really confused, I talk so fast, they don't know what I'm saying, or maybe they might actually, I don't know why, might actually like me. Okay, so my purpose overcame my fear and my shyness. Now listen, there's a point to that. And the point was not just to make y'all laugh, but if you laugh, that's good. The point to that was, if you have a purpose in your life, to pull somebody, somebody out of the grave. Like Jesus was going to pull Lazarus out of the grave. That purpose overcame any fear. Of course, I don't know if Jesus himself had fear, but the disciples sure had fear. That purpose overcame the fear. And here's the deal, young people. I know you're afraid to tell people about Christ. I know you're afraid to witness. I understand that, believe it or not. Most of the time, I am too. But if your purpose in life is to be used by God to reach people that are lost, somehow, some way, you will get the story out. It's just going to happen. But if, you're not, if that's not your purpose, if your purpose is to have a big house, have a, you know, all this kind of stuff, maybe go to church, even if it's your purpose is to give some money to church, I don't care what it is, you got all these other things, if, it's not, if your purpose is not to really go out and pull people out of the grave, it's probably not going to happen. I've been in this ministry deal for 
43 years. That's kind of hard to believe, but it's true. And in all 43 years, I've had exactly one person come to me and say, would you tell me how I could know Jesus Christ? One in 43 years. But there have been a lot of people that I had a purpose of seeing them come to know Christ. That I got over the fear and the shyness and whatever. And I'd at least share with them the story. And if I only had one chance in 43 years, and I'm more public than y'all, and I work with a vulnerable group of people, teenagers, the odds are, if you're not purpose, purpose about this, if this isn't the purpose of your life, no one's probably going to just observe your life and just go, wow, I see what your life is like. I want that. They might see what your life is like, and they might wonder what it is. But if you don't say something, they'll just go, well, you know, I'll go on to something else. So the first thing we see To be a grave robber, Jesus had an incredible sense of purpose. The second thing, Jesus had an incredible love for a dead man. Now, here's the thing, y'all, and I know that, um, you know, we want to reach everybody, okay? But here's what I believe about evangelism. Jesus, Jesus preached to mass crowds, whatever, but every time that I see Jesus evangelizing, it's to somebody like, it's like to one person. It's kind of like the woman at the well, one person. It's kind of like, you know, the old Zacchaeus, the old tax collector, one person. It's like Matthew, the tax collector, one person. Jesus picked people that for whatever reason, and he picked them out one at a time. Think about this. You saw that video? There was a lot of other graves around. Why didn't Jesus just get all those graves? Just get them all out here. Because he came for one guy. The guy was Lazarus. Because he had an incredible love. I don't know if Jesus had favorites, but he had an incredible love for this dead man, Lazarus. And that love motivated him to go and to do some pretty crazy things. You see, love is kind of like that. You know, I know maybe Jesus didn't have a favorite. (laughs) But as a youth minister, I have to admit, at times, I've had favorite kids in my youth group. Now, this is bad, but it's the truth. There have been kids that I've said, "That that kid's one of my favorites. And when you have a kid that you really care about, I mean, and you care about all of them, but if there's one that's really kind of your favorite, you will do incredible things. And you will actually, in some cases, and this is probably wrong, but you might even try to bargain with God. I had a girl in my youth group years and years ago. Her name was Amanda Helton. And there's no doubt that she was one of my favorite youth of all time. And I'll tell you why. Because she used to always sit right in front, and she took notes like John Hughes. And and no one else would take notes, but she would take notes. And she came every single day that we had, every Wednesday, every Sunday. Now, that sounds kind of bad. Well, why would you, well, I'm telling you, I just became very fond of this girl. Well, one time we were hiking in the mountains, not me and her, the whole youth group. And uh, yeah, that would would be not good. (laughs) But we were hiking, and we did this weird hike where it was called a solo hike, I went first. We had like 30 kids. I had another, my intern, Carlton. I said, Carlton, every minute you let another kid come. We're on the Appalachian Trail, and and I'll go down a little ways, and I'll wait a little ways, about 25 minutes. I'll wait, and they'll come down. And somehow, when we got down there, we got all the kids together, and we had lost Amanda Helton. I don't know how in the world. Now, she was walking by herself, but if you've ever been on the Appalachian Trail, it's pretty clearly marked. So I said, okay, we got to go find her. And I sent all the youth out running to find her. 
Now listen, this is a horrible admission. I prayed to God, and I said, God, I care about this kid so much. And I'm going to try to make a deal with you. I said, if you'll somehow, oh, by the way, we looked for her for about two hours first before I did this, okay? After two hours of searching this huge mountain up in North Georgia, and you just can't imagine how humongous it is. I said, if you will help us to find Amanda. I said, God, I will become a missionary to China. And that's horrible because I'm bargaining with God. It has nothing to do with whether God called me to do that. Okay, it's like what bargain, what chip have I got that I can put on the table that might get God to change his mind about this kid dying? Because it was in the late, it was in the wintertime, and that night it was already getting dark. That night it was going down the 20s, and she didn't have a sleeping bag or anything with her. What chip can I put on the table? So I said, I will, I will become a missionary. Now, the reason that I'm still up here telling you all the stories, we did find her. Because if we didn't find her, you know, I'm sure I would have got fired from this church. But here's the deal. I didn't become a missionary to China because that wasn't what God had called me to do. But here's the deal. I thought about that afterwards. As wrong as it was for me to make that kind of deal with God, in some ways, that was really a great thing to do. Because what it showed was, how much, and I was sincere about what I was, I wasn't playing a game here. I really was sincere about that. It showed how much I really cared about this one particular youth. I'm not saying I cared about her at the same level that Jesus cared about Lazarus. But I probably cared about her at that moment in time more than I've cared about anyone that was not related to me. And here's the point. Jesus had an incredible love for a guy that was dead. In my mind, I thought that Amanda was as good as dead. And it was really, it was the providence of God that we found her. It's a long story. And I thought, man, I would do anything to see her alive. Anything. And y'all, when we get that way, when we start having that feeling towards people that don't know Jesus, then something's going to happen. That's, what's, that's what it's going to take. When we, when we just have one person, we're going, you know what? Man, I so care about them. I will do whatever it takes to put them in a position where they can respond. The third thing, uh, by the way, I didn't even read those verses. Uh, John, I just skipped right over it. John 11, 35 and 36, here's what it said. John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. You've heard that verse before. Verse 36, and the Jews said, see how he loved him. I think it's pretty incredible to consider that Jesus wept over another human. He even knew what was going to happen. He knew Lazarus was either going to go to heaven or he was going to raise him right there, whatever. But yet Jesus was still torn to his very core. And it really impressed the Jews. They're just going, this is incredible. So first, Jesus had an incredible sense of purpose. Secondly, incredible love for a dead man. And third, Jesus was willing to look foolish. Let me read this to you again. If you've got your Bible, look over there real quick. John 11, verse 38. Read to verse 43. It says, once again, Jesus was moved 
and he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, <coughs> for he's been there four days. Didn't you see how when they moved that stone, everybody's like, oh, God, they can't stand the smell. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Let me read on. Verse 43. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He called in a voice so loud that everyone around could hear. Lazarus, come out. Point number three, Jesus was willing to look foolish. You know, you think about how Jesus could have approached this Lazarus deal. Here's what he could have done. He could have gone up to the tomb, not made a big deal about it. The guys are up there kind of finishing it off. You know, he said, hey, could you guys move this stone a little bit? He could have walked in himself, not said anything. Gone over to Lazarus and said, hey, Lazarus, hey, man, can you get up? Can you get up? Can you get up? And if Lazarus doesn't get up, Jesus walks out and says, you know, if I'd have been here, I could have done something. But it's too late. His body's already disintegrated. But we know Lazarus has gone to heaven, so praise God. He could have done that. Instead, Jesus stood out where all these people were, and he said, Lazarus, come out. Now you think about it, y'all. It was all on the line right there. Jesus was willing to look incredibly foolish. What if Lazarus does not come out? It's over. The Jesus ministry, the Jesus purpose in being here on earth, everything about Jesus He's done. It's done. He's put himself out there. He's made himself more vulnerable than he had ever been at any time in his ministry on earth because he put himself in a position where he could look incredibly foolish if Lazarus does not come out of that grave. And here's the deal. When Jesus did that, he... He, I can't get into all the dynamics. I'm not even sure I know all the dynamics. But he was still human. He was still human. He still had to believe that it was going to happen. And he was willing to risk it and put himself out there. If you're going to really rob graves, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there. If you're going to really, because you know what? Sometimes you're going to try to tell people about Christ and you're going to make a fool of yourself. Everybody I know that's ever gone out and told people about Christ at some point in time has made a fool of themselves. Sometimes you might be trying to share your testimony and you forget what your testimony is or you can't talk or whatever. I don't know what it could be, but I promise you, if you take this seriously and you go try to, to, to bring people that are dead back to life, God doing it through you, if you try to do that, I can promise you at times you're going to look foolish so you've got to be willing to look foolish. I mean, think about it, young people. Some of y'all have written down some names, we'll talk about in just a minute, of people that you want to share Christ with. What if you go to them and try to share Christ with them, and they just laugh at you? You look pretty foolish. Jesus 
was not concerned with how he looked. He was willing to look foolish, and there's only one reason why. Because he had an incredible love for Lazarus. He had an incredible purpose in his life, and he wasn't going to let the fact that maybe he's going to look a little foolish get in the way of doing what God called him to do. You know, for the first uh, three or four hundred years of the Christian faith, Christianity grew at an incredibly fast rate. And then things started to slow down. And to be honest with you, right now, especially in America, Christianity is not growing even as fast as our population. It's not. Every year in Georgia, more non-Christians than the year before. It's amazing. Every year in this county, more non-Christians than the year before. Now, why is that? Well, there's two reasons, believe it or not. Two things that we have developed in contemporary Christianity that they didn't have back in the first three, four hundred years that really we think this is the answer and it's actually not the answer. The first one is what I call the crusade mentality. The crusade mentality is this. We think the way to reach people is to hold huge events and bring in personalities like Tim Tebow. And man, everybody will come to hear Tim Tebow and then when we do that, everybody's going to know Jesus. And we think that's the way to reach people. Now, y'all, I told you, Jesus preached to huge crowds. But if you read it, he never gave an invitation to the crowds. Because he didn't want salvation to be that impersonal. He wanted to be personal. So the crusade mentality has kind of invaded our culture. And it's been kind of like the way that we operate. We're going to have this big, big event. We're going to get everybody to come. And let me tell you, just to be honest, who's most everybody that usually comes? It's other Christians. Because the non-Christians are sitting out there going, I don't really care to go hear Tim Tebow. I've seen him on TV before. I don't really like what he has to say. So we have the crusade mentality. And I love Billy Graham. But we think, boy, if we could just recreate that. But Billy Graham himself would tell you, the way that he's doing evangelism will not reach the world. It won't. The other problem is, what, is what's called the preacher system, of which I are one. Here's the preacher system. Years ago, first 400 years of Christianity, there were no paid preachers. Let me tell you why it grew so fast. Yeah, a little church, 40 or 50 people. Yes, somebody would, would, would share the word on Sunday morning, but they weren't getting paid because the church was so poor, they couldn't pay anybody. Everybody in that church considered themselves equal. And so the result was, they had 50 people in that church, they had 50 people out trying to tell people about Jesus. Then one day they said, man, we need to hire a preacher. And they did. So they said, now that we hired this preacher, he's got to have something to do. Let's let him tell people about Jesus. And we'll come and listen to him talk, and we'll give our money. And the preacher system, in my mind, has really killed the advance of Christianity. And you don't have to go any further than to look at how Mormonism is growing so fast. They don't have a preacher system. They're all out doing it. Every one of them's taking their time and doing their little mission thing. But you say, Bill, what if we, I just want you guys to think for a minute, what if we did away 
What if we did away with the crusade mentality? Said, hey, we're not going to have more big meetings. I mean, even this could become like a crusade mentality. Like, hey, man, you guys, you need to come to 1050. You need to come to Connection. You need to come here, TJ. What if we did away with the preacher system? What if we didn't have anybody getting paid to preach? You're saying, you're talking about losing your job? I'm talking about how are we going to reach this world? What if we had no preachers? Well, let me tell you what we would have. I guess there's 400 people in here. We'd have 400 people that have got the responsibility to go rob graves. And if each one of you guys just robbed one grave in the next two years, okay, I mean, I'm talking God does the work, but if each one of us robbed one grave in the next two years, it would be the most incredible explosion of evangelism that's ever been in this county, in this church, and probably one of the most incredible explosions of evangelism in this state. There was a place that did away with the preacher system, did away with the crusade system, crusade mentality. It's called China. Communists took over. They round up all the preachers, killed them. That ended that, right? They no longer could have big meetings All the churches were shut down. We didn't know in the West. We didn't know what had happened after Mao took over China. There were somewhere around 5 million Christians in all of China when Mao took over. Killed the preachers, closed the buildings. 30-something years later, all of a sudden, communism opens up. They say, hey, now you guys can bring in some missionaries, or not just Americans, at least could travel there, and church could come out from underground just a little bit, and what do we find? They've gone from 5 million to like 60 million, because they didn't have any preachers, and they didn't have any buildings to meet in, because guess what? After the preachers were gone, all the people were left said, you know what? If it's going to be, it's up to me. I got to do it. We can't count on the preacher anymore. We can't count on the missionary anymore. We can't tell everybody to come to the church anymore. There is no church. There is no preacher. There is no missionary. But there's still a Jesus, and I know him. And I can, they didn't even, they weren't even trained in how to do evangelism. But they had a purpose, and they had a love, and they weren't afraid of, oh, I might look foolish, or I might go to jail and be put to death. They just went out and got people. So today, I want to challenge the teenagers, and really all of y'all, I want to challenge the teenagers to be a grave robber. And before we came in here, we gave all of our youth a card. And on the card, we asked them to, if they would, and I know we're not making you do this, we asked them to write the name of one person that's dead, that's lost, that doesn't know Jesus, that they're going to try to bring along. They're going to try to, they're going to pray for them. They're going to bring them, and then they're going to tell them their story. And what we're going to do is when we have the invitation, teenagers, what I would like to challenge you guys to do is real simple. I want to challenge you to get up from where you are and come to the front. That's why I didn't want you to turn these in before. I want you to come to the front, and I want you to kneel. 
And I want you to leave your card here. And I want you to pray for that person. And then when you go back to your seat, you'll know that you've made a commitment to be what we call in that card a volunteer. You don't do this. God does this. All you're doing is saying, God, I volunteer. God, I am going to allow you to use me. And as we told the youth what we're going to do with those cards, so we're going to take them and me and Emily and Matt are going to pray for you guys over and over and over again as you are the hands that God is going to use and the mouth that God is going to use to reach people. Now listen, young people, everybody wearing a shirt, don't come down and do this because the person sitting next to you is doing this. That's just playing a game. We're not playing a game here. This is for real. These are people we're concerned about that are lost. And if none of y'all want to come down to the front, you know what? That's okay. That's okay. At least we know where our youth group is. That's okay. But if even one of you comes to the front, we want you to come and seriously pray for them and seriously leave your card. Now, to the rest of y'all that are in here, you don't have cards. and You didn't come on this weekend. You don't have a crazy youth minister like me trying to get you to do anything. But I want to challenge you. God may have laid one person on your heart that God wants you to pull out of the grave. And I just want to challenge you to come down the front. You don't have to have a card. You know who they are. And kneel and just pray and say, God, use me to reach somebody. Don't use the preacher. Don't use the 1050 worship service. Don't use Tim Tebow or television. Use me, God. I volunteer to do this. Use me. There may be some of y'all here that you don't know Jesus. It would be absolutely ridiculous for you to try to tell somebody about him. you got to know him first. If you don't know Jesus, TJ will be standing over here. He'll be glad to talk to you about that. If you would like to become a part of First Baptist Tifton, you come see TJ. John may be up here. Just say, hey, I, I really want to be a part of this church. We give you that opportunity. But really today, for the teenagers, the main emphasis is we just want you to step out and do this in all seriousness and to leave your card and to pray for that person. And let's just see what could happen. What could happen if some people had a purpose in their life? What could could happen if they had a love for one person and if they weren't afraid of looking foolish? Let's just see what could happen. So if you guys come up here, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just ask you guys to all stand, okay? And as they start singing, then uh, the invitation begins. The invitation begins when they start singing.